You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. This is David. Do you know this, David? It's David that we recognize as the shepherd boy. The sweet psalmist of Israel. The one, as we, we saw the record of his life, was the one who killed the lion and the bear. And, and he was out in the hills and the valleys tending the sheep. This is David, who later would have Goliath fall at his feet. This is David, who, as we read his story, we see a strong and vibrant and courageous king who conquers for the kingdom. This is David, and this is how we remember him. And we come to chapter 2 now, and we say, this is David, it's the days of David, drew nigh, that he should die. That he should die. You know, I read these stories, and I know that you read these stories, and it seems as if we were just in Samuel, going through David's life. We work our way through here. Now we find that David is ready to walk off this planet. And it just seems like it just happened in a blink, in a moment, that here is a shepherd of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the boy in the fields, and now he's in his 70s, he's on his deathbed, he's not getting up, his days are passing. It just happened in a blink, in a moment, before you know it. It's here in chapter 2 of 1 Kings. Isn't that life? And in a blink, in a moment, you know, we're, we're born and, and we look forward to things. You know, for the kid, for me, it was 16. Can't wait to be 16 because then you can drive and it's awesome and you get your own car and your own wheels and 16 is great. And then it's like, well, I can't wait to graduate and get out of this high school. I can't wait for that. And we wish 16 away now, and we move to 18 and 19, and then maybe we go off to university or college and get married. It's like, this is wonderful. It's like, we can't wait to have our first child. And you, you have that first child, and you put him in the car, and you're, on your way home, you're thinking, what did we do? I, I have no idea what to do with this child. And it's like, we see this, this timepiece now in our lives. We watch them grow up, and they, they graduate now, I guess, from kindergarten. I don't understand that. You give them awards for graduating from kindergarten. Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner. And we're so proud of them, and we take the pictures and the snapshots, and then before we know it, we're across the street watching them graduate at Indian Creek at grade 8. And before you know it, they're walking the aisle again and graduating from high school and then university. They're married. And you think as a parent, how did this happen? Where did time go? And then your kids get married. And you're hoping for grandchildren. Before you know it, you wake up one day and you're 48. You're 58. Or you're 68. Or 78. Or 98. And we, like David, come to a point where our days draw nigh that we die. I want to start off this morning by a real happy note for everyone. We're all dying. We're, we're all dying. 
and, and we read this short little statement, and we're, we're so prone just to sort of read over that, because, yeah, of course, that's David. I mean, it's ancient history. We know this. That day for David has come and now gone, and that day will come for us. I think it would be a good reminder this morning for all of us to remember that this life that we enjoy will soon be over. And I'm not trying to be morbid this morning. I had a funeral this week, and I have to tell you, I've been in ministry for 27 years, I get tired of funerals. I get tired of them. But it wasn't my last. There will be more. If, if God tarries his coming and allows me the chance to live a little bit longer, I might just do yours. Buried a lot of people in this church already. Some I wanted to bury, they're still alive. And, and I, I had the text this week in Ecclesiastes where the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to remind us that this life is like smoke. It's vanity. It appears it's gone. He says in chapter 7, it's better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. Because in the house of mourning, when we are confronted with death, the wise lay it to heart and realize this is the end of all of us. And for too many of us, I think we like the party. Play it loud, crank up the music, have fun, don't think, just go on through life. But I'm telling you something, no matter how long the party lasts, eventually the party ends. They all end. We're walking off this planet. And we just have to stop sometimes and think, we're not going to be forever. And here's the truth of it. The smallest portion of our existence is on this planet. The smallest portion of our existence is now on this planet. So you can live 100 years, and maybe science will help us, and you live to 150. I don't think you'll want to, but maybe you live to 150, and it's like, that's great. But I promise you, 200 years from now, none of us will be here, but your life will not end. Man does not have a soul. Man is a living soul. And we will live for eternity in one of two places. And our existence will take, and we say this because it doesn't make sense, but but billions and trillions and trillions of years. Eternity. No end. David dies. We are all dying. And we must stop for a moment and say, wait a minute. What are we doing? Are we thinking? Or are we going to the party? We're having the music. We're just we're losing sight of the fact that we're walking off this planet this morning. If you do not know Christ, don't play games. Don't wait. Don't make excuses. Repent and believe you're walking off this planet. And if we do know Christ this morning, and this small piece is our opportunity to know Christ and to grow in Christ and to serve his kingdom, then what are we doing? No, really. What are we doing? For many of us, we'll wake up one day and think, oh my goodness, my life is over, and I didn't make a difference in any area for the things that are eternal. And this morning, listen, I'm not telling you, I'm going to go into ministry, go into mission field, I'm going to be a day. No, 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 no. Where you're at right now, as a single, as a single parent, as a mom raising kids, right? as a man, as a woman, in your place of work, are we making a difference for eternity? And so here in our text, it's David. And we think of David as strong and vibrant and, yeah, and he's dying. We're all dying. We need to think of it. We, we need to think of it. Because we blink 
it's over. Honestly, I, you parents, grandparents, you know that. It's like, oh my goodness, we see these pictures. It's like, I remember, I, I'm remembering now things that happened 40 years ago. That's terrifying. That I remember 40 years ago. We've got to stop and think. The days of David drew nigh that he should die. So it goes on in our text. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, and this is important. So David's dying. He knows he's dying. Given a great opportunity to say, listen, before I go, I want to give you some last words. Now listen, you and I know last words are important. If you had the opportunity this morning to be on your deathbed and have your loved ones gathered or your children, your grandchildren, what would you say to them? What would be so important that you'd think, man, I'm leaving, my voice will be silenced, but this is the one thing I want you to know? What would you say? So here's what David says. Is it given the opportunity? And he says... Uh, to Solomon, verse 2, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. This is a dad speech, right? Hey, I'm going the way of the earth. I want you to know, be strong, show yourself a man. Son, I'm leaving. David's 70, maybe Solomon's 30, 40 years old. Son, I'm leaving. Be strong, be a man. And then he says this. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God. And listen, this makes real sense. Because David's walking off the planet. David's time on earth is done. And David knows the time will come when Solomon's time is done. So it makes really good sense to say to his son, Boy, I'm leaving. You should listen to the eternal God who lives forever, who knows the end from the beginning. He charges him to, to, to follow the Lord. He says, keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and the testimonies as is written in the law of Moses that thou mayest... I will stop there. Law of Moses. So here's what he says. Hey, boy, don't waste your life. Obey God's word. This is the last thing. Don't waste your life. Son, I'm leaving. Here's what I want you to know. Be a man. Be strong. But you better... Keep God's charge. You better walk in his ways, all of them. Obey the Lord. I find it interesting that the first thing we've ever taught our children was to obey. The first thing we teach them. Parents, that's the first thing you should teach them. Obey. Do not negotiate with a two-year-old. Or a four-year-old. Or a seven-year-old. Right? Uh, we do not negotiate with terrorists. We don't do that. Right? Children need to know what obedience is. And so we start with obedience, and David ends with obedience. And then he gives a reason in verse 3. We started on that. Obey that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man to be on the throne of the kingdom. And so David says, hey, listen, keep God's words for two reasons. First of all, you'll prosper in every way you turn. Now listen, when he talks about prosper, it's connected to the kingdom here. We say obedience brings blessings, and it, it does bring blessings. But you and I know that sometimes being obedient to God's word costs us something. Sometimes when we say, God, this is what you said, I'm going to do it, 
We don't see it as a blessing because something bad might happen, but the truth is, it is a blessing because I followed God, I did it his way, and he is pleased with me. So, obedience does bring blessing. I would submit it brings stability in our lives. That we're faithful to the one who's called us. And then he says that the kingdom will be perpetual. And and there's a conditional promise where God said, David, if your children after you will obey me, love me, follow me, there will not fail a man to sit on your throne. It was conditional. If they blow it, different story. But it was unconditional in the fact that God said, your throne will be forever. And that promise was made through the person of Jesus Christ. He, He kept his word there. David's descendants didn't do as well. God was faithful. And so he says obedience brings blessing or stability, and disobedience will bring ruin. So that's the point. This is great spiritual advice. But now watch what happens in verse number 9. Still the same David, still same conversation, still last words. He goes from spiritual to political. And it seems almost like a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on here. Verse 5, Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, and unto Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about him, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his forehead come down to the grave in peace. But show kindness unto Barzillai, and he suffered the kindness that he showed to David when he fled from Absalom. Verse number 8, he goes on and says, Now listen, there's another guy named Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjaminite of Bahurim, which caused me, uh, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went from Mahanam, but he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him that the Lord, uh, I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore, Hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his head or gray head, or honorable head, bring thou down to the grave with blood. So here we have David, and it seems like he goes like from the Dalai Lama to the Godfather. Right? I mean, honestly. Follow the Lord, keep his commandments, and it's like, you come to my daughter's birthday, and you disrespect me. And it seems like, hey, David, here's some, David says, here's some spiritual advice, Solomon. Follow the Lord. And then the next minute he says, hey, and by the way, kill him, kill him, shed his blood, destroy him. It's like, whoa, David, what's up with that? Right? And some people, some commentators say, this is David's revenge, his lust for blood, his depravity. That he wants all these guys dead now. But I don't think that's the case, to be honest with you. Remember David's story, how he was almost... He was oblivious to what was happening in the kingdom. When he's reminded, he was revived. It's like, the kingdom's important, so he, he takes steps. And once again, I think David understands that the kingdom must be established in righteousness. And these men were enemies of the kingdom. They had their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own ways. They would be king. They would rule and reign. And David's reminding Solomon that the kingdom must be established in righteousness. And those who are outside the kingdom or would confront the kingdom or be diametrically opposed to the kingdom must be dealt with. The truth is, that statement is true today. The kingdom of Christ will be established in righteousness. 
and all the enemies of that kingdom who want nothing to do with him, who will rule and reign on their own, who will say, I will not have that man reign over me, will be brought into account and will be dealt with. We've got to be really careful. We, we talk about Jesus, and, we, and, we, and, and I have to tell you, the songs we sang today about who he was and what he did and his sacrifice and the great love he showed us, they move me. I, I mean, they, I get it, and I understand it, and I see his compassion, and I see his love, and I see his mercy. But that's not all he is. He's a king, and he will rule and reign in righteousness. And those who oppose his kingdom will be crushed under his feet. That's the gospel. The good news doesn't make any sense. Oh, Christ came to save you. From what? Why? If we're all good, if we're all okay, if we're not rebellious, it doesn't make any sense. But it makes real sense when I know that I'm an enemy combatant of the God of heaven. I rebelled. I said I'll do it my own way, and I deserve death and hell and punishment. Then I understand this is really good news. It's really good news. It is the greatest news. Listen how the kingdom is described in the book of Revelation. And I just want you to listen as I read this, these verses. There's, there's several, so hang in there. Let me just find my page here. Okay. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 21, 27. And there shall in no wise enter unto it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. 22.10. And he said unto me, Seal not the saying of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to uh, as his work shall be, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates unto the city. For without are dogs and saucers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever maketh and whosoever loveth and maketh alive. Right? This list goes on. It's like, wait a minute. Not all dogs go to heaven. It's not like everyone dies and we just do this scale and everyone, no, no. The enemies of the kingdom will not make it into the kingdom. You say, Rick, this really sounds unloving. It does sound unloving, but it's not unloving. Because God understands that all sin and all corruption always lead to death and destruction, and so it must be contained. And Christ loved us enough to come and pay that price, but those who reject him will not enter into the kingdom. And then something amazing happens in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17. Jesus says, in the spirit... And the bride say, come, let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is the thirst come, and whosoever will, let them come and drink freely of the water of life. Listen to me. We don't have to die. We don't. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one from whom we need saving from is the one who saves us. And so the kingdom is established in righteousness. Now, back in our text, look at 1 Kings chapter 2. Let's jump down to verse 36. I'm going to skip some portions here. And I won't read all of it, but look at verse 36. He now is going to deal with Shimei. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem, 
and dwell there, and go not from thence any whither. For it shall be that on the day thou goest out and passest over the brook Kidron, thou shalt know for certain that thou shalt surely die. Okay. Does that sound clear to you? Build a house. Stay there. But if you cross Kidron, you're going to die. This is not rocket science. This is really easy. Shimei, you deserve to die. I'm going to give you some grace. Stay here. Build the house here. Don't leave. The moment you leave, you're going to die. I know we're talking about a lot of death this morning. Okay, it's in here. It's just, but stay with me. It does get better. Okay. You're going to die. And Shimei said to the king, it's good. Your word is good. I will do what you say. And the Bible then goes on to say that he did that for three years. And after three years, two of his slaves run away. He crosses Kidron. He goes after them. And when he comes back, Solomon says, hey, uh, Shimei, come up to the palace. I want to talk to you. And he comes up to the palace. And Solomon says, did I not tell you in the day that you crossed over, you'll die? And Shimei loses his life. For the life of me, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know if he thought the king's word was, you know, it sort of, after a while, it didn't matter. If he was the exception, if he would understand this, if it was okay. I don't know what he was thinking. I can't believe he forgot. If someone said to you, hey, the minute you cross that street, you're going to die, I think you would remember that. I would. My father often threatened me, if you do that, I'm going to kill you. I remember those things, right? They're, they're there. Shimei doesn't. He leaves, he disobeys, and he dies. He's a fool. So from Solomon to Shimei, here's what we're talking about. True stability only comes through obedience to the Lord's command. David says to Solomon, boy, listen to me. Don't waste your life. Listen to the Lord. Solomon comes to Shimei and says, don't lose your life. Listen to my command. And he loses his life. He loses his life. Believer, this morning, we are called to obey. We're, we're just called to obey. Now, now what I'm, not, I'm not saying that obedience equals salvation. It doesn't. We're not saved because we obey. But when we are saved, we are called to obey. Here's what Tozer said. Salvation apart from obedience is unknown in sacred scripture. So for the Christian who says, yeah, I know, here's the word, I understand, it's really clear to me, but I choose not to, that attitude is unknown in Scripture. The Christian is to obey the word of God. And we don't obey because it merits favor. We obey because of his grace in the first place that's transforming us and allowing us to obey his word. We're called to obey. Number one, a sign is not needed to obey. You and I don't need a sign. Like, oh, I would obey the Lord. If only I knew what he was saying. If only I understood this. Or only if I knew he loves me, I would obey him. What sign do you need? What do you need, a rainbow? A unicorn? What do you need? Can I submit to you this morning? If, if you question his love and the sign of his son going to Calvary and dying an excruciating death for your sins while the wrath of God was poured on his head is not enough of a sign for you that God loves you, you will never have a sign that will help you. He's already done all that he could do. And so this morning, you don't need a sign. 
it's like, well, I don't, it's not the word of God that you don't understand, that you have trouble with. I don't understand that. That's kind of tricky. I'm not sure. It's the part of the word of God that you do understand that you and I don't do. How about this one? Maybe this is confusing, but listen to it. Be ye kind one to another. I wonder what he means. I, I wonder what he's saying. I just don't understand what that means. In honor, preferring one another. Right? right? This is what I'm talking about. And, and if we're going to be obedient, we must be obedient in all of it. A sign is not needed. Number two, it's simple. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment, which I command this day, it's not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Do it. Right. Believer, you have the word of God now. You know it. You've heard it. Do it. I don't have to go to heaven. I don't have to go across the sea. I have it now. Right? It's simple. And number three, obedience to the word is true stability. Look at Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. Storms of life are coming to everyone. They're coming to the wise, they're coming to the foolish. And Christ says, when you build your life on my word, when you listen to it, when you obey it, it gives stability in those storms. And for too long, we as believers have neglected his word. We've forgotten his word. We act as if we're the exception to his word. And he calls us to trust and obey. Can I say this to you this morning? His commandments, 1 John 5, 3, are not grievous. They're not, they're not like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. They're commandments given out of love, out of compassion, out of knowing what we need, how we function, how we flourish, how to please him. They're not mean and unkind. They're for our good, for his glory. And so this morning, here's the challenge. Believer, do what you're told. Just do what you're told. And it isn't complicated. Don't make it complicated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why don't you work on that? I have a hunch that that might just keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Love your neighbor as yourself. You got a neighbor? I mean, we have neighbors. And in the story, the truth is every man is your neighbor. The person in need is your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. How about this one? Flee fornication. Any sexual activity outside of marriage, outside of a covenant, Wrong. Flee fornication. How about this one? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. As you speak to people, obey. 
Forgive one another, even as Christ, for God's sake, forgave you. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, reverence your husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. It goes on and on and on. It's only through obedience that we find stability and we please him. So, this morning, as we look at the lives of Solomon, look at the lives of Shimei, understand we must obey. We must. We had a Savior who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross that we can live. And what he calls us to do this morning is to die to self, obey his word, so that we might live and that more fully. He's given us his spirit. We have his word. We can obey. Believer, by the grace of God this morning, do what you're told. Obey.